out here. Just welcome to, uh, I want you to prepare your hearts right now as we enter this time of worship. It's feeling my eyes. 
broken people can come to the Father. But he doesn't reject us, but he'll embrace us. Father, I pray that you transform our minds, God. Take out any offense against you, God, against what you can do. Father, you are an almighty being. You are an almighty creator. And Father, we don't have any clue what you can do in these times of service. But we ask right now that you would pour out your spirit. God, we know that we pour out your spirit. There comes your power. Lives are transformed in the name of Jesus. Lives are transformed in the name of Jesus. Sicknesses are healed in the name of Jesus. Strongholds are broken in the name of Jesus. Just start declaring that. Start realigning your mind to think that way. Start allowing your mind to think that way. Just close your eyes and get an attitude of worship. Just invite him here. He's a spirit. You're not looking at us to hope to see God. But you close your eyes and hope to get closer to Jesus. Just lift your heart right now. Come on. Just close your eyes right now and just say, Jesus, you're all I want. God, you're all I want. You're the same God of Abraham. God, you're the same God who was faithful to Daniel in the lion's den. You're the same God, Father God, who met with the disciples on the day of Pentecost. It's the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ. It was the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit that gives you power today to worship. Come on, just receive that spirit. God, come on. It's no small things, friends. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. When we're broken people, we are people. We return to you. We repent and we turn to you. We repent, we turn to you. We messed it up, but we turn, God. Oh, it's Chicago, the city, the nations. We turn to you. Turn to you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Send your spirit. Send your power. Send your rain. Send your fire. Send your fire. We want to know you. Come on, tell I want to know you in your own words. I want to know you. I want to know you. Holy Spirit. I want to know you. I just ask that everybody in this place will close their eyes. I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. Don't want you to miss out what God has for you. You may have, have years of religion backed up, clogging your worship unto God. You may not have seen breakthrough in your life. But if you're ready, you're willing. God is willing to break through in your life. Father, we are broken people. We ask that you fill us up. Fill us up. Fill us up, God. Fill us up. Fill us up, God. That's our heart. That's our pride today. Every person here, from the oldest to the youngest, fill us up, God. Father, you're no respecter of persons. But Father, you come even to the most, the weakest one. 
so that your power can be manifested. <laughs> Father, you'll come to the youngest so that your power can be manifested, Father. Father, you chose the foolish things to shame the wise. <laughs> you chose the foolish things to shame the wise, Father God. And we ask that you move in your way, on your terms. Not on our terms, God, but on your terms. You are a holy God, and we proclaim, we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Come on, church, right now, just lift up his name. It's all in his name. It's all in his name. It's by his power. It's by his spirit. It's in the name of Jesus. Oh, we declare that lives are healed, that I am healed. Oh, come fill us up. Come fill us up. Come fill us up, oh Lord. Come fill us up, oh Lord. Come fill us up. You provide the fire.
Come on, if you want more of his love, if you want his power, would you just close your eyes and just raise up your hands and just say, God, fill us up, Lord. Whatever you need today, you can ask. Fill us up with your love, your grace, your forgiveness. Oh, Lord, fill us up, fill us up, oh, Lord, with your power. Just a few more times and then make it personal. Fill me. Come on, say, fill me. Fill me up. Yes, God. Fill me up, oh, Lord. Fill me up, fill me up, oh, Lord. One more time. Come on. Fill me up, fill me up, oh Lord. Hallelujah. Would you hold somebody's hand next to you right now? We're going to pray. Just as a family, don't be embarrassed. We want to pray for every person in here. Even if you don't know how to pray, you can at least say, God, fill up my neighbor. Come on, just hold hands all across this place. And let's believe God for our neighbor to be filled up. Just say, Lord, bless my neighbor. Fill them up with your love today. Bless their family today. We thank God for every person here. You are special to the Lord. And we pray that the Lord will fill you up with all the good that you need today. He is a good God. We can't do it without Him, but with Him all things are possible. If all you know how to say for your neighbor is God bless them, then just say God bless you. You don't have to wait for them to sneeze. Come on, we're going to bless each other. 15 more seconds. Fill us up, oh Lord. Fill us up, oh Lord. Bless our homes. Bless our marriages. Bless our families. We ask you today, God, fill us up. Just holding hands, five seconds. Just sing it together. Oh Lord. Fill us up, fill us up, oh Lord. Fill us up from the youngest to the oldest. Fill us up, oh Lord. Amen. If you believe it, can you give the Lord a loud shout of praise and a hand clap of victory? Come on, slap your neighbor high five and say, God, we'll fill you up. Amen. Stay on your feet and greet two or three other people, please, as we play this welcome video. Don't sit down right now. We want to greet you. Welcome to Metro Praise. Tell somebody else, God will fill you up.
and her friends to come with her today, who I met with yesterday. I don't want to embarrass all of them, but just some of them. Kay, would you come with Mary and your husband? Can we give it up for Kay and the family? Come on. Amen. Some of the friends, the lawyer, come on, I forget your name. Come on, don't be shy. It looks like you brought some family today. Is this the parents? Amen. And good to see you again, my brother. Amen. Blessed. I would like Kay to share her testimony a little bit about her heart and life. Kay comes from the Philippines, and we actually have some friends in common. I'm not going to tell it all, but uh, why don't you make some more room? Come more this way. Come more this way. It looks like the whole family is here. Thank you for coming today, family. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I hope you guys enjoy yourself today. Amen. Good to see you. It's too shy. Amen. Would you just tell us what God is doing in your family and all the blessings? It just blesses my heart. Hi. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, well, uh, the Lord has been so good. From, from the time that I met him, from the start, um, we're not from a Christian family, but the Lord was so good. I've been through a lot. Physically, the devil wants to really crush me. I've been through so many surgery, but the Lord is good. Our God is a great God. And I thank the Lord how he brought me this far. And not only that, but to my family also. Uh, I have my first time to come here. I mean, it was... The, through evangelism, David and the the rest of the fa the, the rest of the the staff I mean the 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 life group team came to our door and knocked us while I'm I was cleaning and there was this big man like who are you I thought that they were like police or somebody they're they're, they're like catching somebody and then I was like who are you I know oh, we're here for we want to share about Jesus and then I was like I feel like um, uh, comforted and at peace and then they invite me for a life group that was the start but I praise God the Lord was so good and my family are here and they really want to come and be blessed and we feel that this is our home yeah I feel that the Lord is here and the Lord is leading us and we you have touched us many times every time we come here uh, I, I told Berto, you don't know how much you have touched us when you welcome us here in front. And my mom is here and decided, we will come, 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 everybody come in the church. So I thank the Lord and, and we, we are very much, my heart, my husband, and my, some of my friends are very much willing to be used by God, whatever, in, in every way, in every, the Lord will lead us or I'm going to use us for his glory. Our life is more of him and less of us. Amen. And I give glory to God. Amen. Amen. I want you guys to stay up here. We want to put a map above the, the Philippines. Does anybody else want to share? Amen. We, we want to pray for the Philippines. And this is something that God is doing. There is a brother who contacted me. I haven't told you guys yet because I've been wanting to wait. He contacted us from the Philippines. He has seven churches, a pastor. And he said, would you take us under and join us with, uh, let me come with Metro Praise. So when I began to look at his letter, I brought them in. And it's from the same place that they are from. The same city and everything. Yes, Davao City. And we want to pray specifically, this is your mother here. We want to pray for you because we know that you've suffered some persecution.
Is this the mother that had to move? Can you tell a little bit of the story of how she had to move because of the Muslims? Which is the one that, whose family? Was that your family? Could you share that just a little bit? Because then we want to pray for the Philippines. Okay, a few minutes. Like, we, our, our place is a small town, and we were attacked by the they so-called MILF. They were like the uh, Al-Qaeda, supported by Al-Qaeda. It was a small time when we were like a month when we arrived here when our place was attacked. Our family, our house was really in the center, and our family was the last one was rescued. And everybody was, there are so many who died, who killed, they burned houses. It's good that I, I told my sister we were on the phone, and we were, they were crying, and they said, just hold on, God is with you. It was God. It was God. There's no other thing that, that cover us. It was, this is a global thing. They're doing business in the Muslim thing, like terrorists and all that. But the Lord was so good. The, he, there were so dead bodies, even in our trucks. I mean, van, we have this big van. They put some dead bodies. And you can see mothers who are pregnant. They were, they were put on hot water. And then, then, then they... they they divide the, you know, the stomach and take out the body. And there are too many, you know. And we are privileged that we have the freedom to worship God. And sometimes we, we, we do not give it all. So, so we are, we, I ask you to pray because we, they really need it. We really need it, everybody. Not only, I know, in the Philippines, but to all of us. In a different way that, God, that the devil is trying to pull us down. But the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. And we will, we will, we will continue to We will win this nation. See, what happened was in Indonesia as well, the Muslims are taking over and they're starting in the south of the Philippines and they're trying to take them over. The Christians are having to leave and they want to come and take the whole Philippine island like they did in Indonesia. But we will not allow that to happen in Jesus' name. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people, but it's against the principalities and powers in high places and spiritual wickedness. And we will bring them down. And we have our brother Habi who comes from Egypt. We prayed for Egypt here and we're going to pray for the Philippines today. So I'm going to ask Rachel and Ricky. They just came back from a trip from Manila. Rachel is second generation. Her family comes from Manila. They have missionary hearts and congregation. We're going to stretch our hands towards this, this family. So stretch your hands towards them. And we are just going to pray for them and their families and their nation. Rachel and Ricky, would you pray for the Philippines and for Islam to stop and Christianity to grow in safety? Jesus, you are Lord of all this earth. You are Lord of all creation, God. And we lift up this nation, God, that you love, the Philippines, Lord. And God, we ask that the Spirit of God would move so strongly in this nation, God. We push back, oh God, against the devil, against the lie of Islam right now in Jesus' name that is wanting to creep up through this nation. And we put a stop to it in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood over these lives that are confused, that are lost, that have been darkened by the enemy. And we plead the blood of Jesus over these souls right now that the light of the gospel would rise up, God, that your church, oh God, would rise up, oh Lord, and preach the word, Jesus. So God, we ask that your light would shine in the Philippines, that souls would be saved, that there would be such a wildfire of the presence of God, till God ransack this nation from island to island, from group to group, from village to village, in the name of Jesus. Use this church, oh God, use Metro Praise, oh God, to send forth workers, use, including ourselves, oh Father God, to preach the word in Jesus' Hallelujah, Lord. We give you praise, God. You said, ask me of the nations, and it will be yours, God. We ask you for the Philippines, God. 
We ask you for devour right now, my God, that you will do a mighty work in that city, my God, that, Lord, you will pour out your spirit, God, that every ear will hear, every eye will be open, God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray that your light will shine through that darkness, God, and that chains will be broken, God, that eyes will see Jesus, that, that, that hearts will be broken, Father God, that they will receive your love, that they will receive your salvation, Lord. We pray against the lies of the enemy that will come against that, God, the lies that would come and make them believe, oh God, in other things, oh God, to hate the gospel, Lord. We pray against that in Jesus' name. We pray for freedom, my God. We pray for many, oh God, to come to the cross, for many to come to you, God, the refuge, the strong tower, God, the rock, my Lord, that they would come to you for help. They'll come to you for refuge. They'll come to you for strength, my God. And we just pray for a revival in that city, God. That, Lord, you will start a fire in that city that would capture the Philippines, my God. That will spread throughout the nation, oh God. Oh God, do a good work in that city. Do a good work in the Philippines, my God. We pray, God, that we will hear many testimonies, oh God. Many testimonies coming from that city, oh God, of the work that you're doing, my God. Of the thousands upon thousands that are coming and giving their lives to you, my God. And we pray for a hedge of protection over them, God, that you will protect them from the from the weapons of the enemy, God. You said it will not prosper in Jesus' name, my God. But your gospel will prevail, God. Your gospel will prevail. It will break through through every stronghold, oh God. Oh Jesus, have your way. Do a good work. And we expect great testimonies, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we bless the Lord for the Philippines today? God bless you, family. We love you. Thank you. As they're going back to their seats, will you tell somebody Jesus for the Philippines? Come on, as they're going back to their seats. And, Berto, do we have the Filipino flag yet? Would you make sure we buy it this week? Because as we wave our flags, we want to wave the Filipino flag to the Lord. Man, you know, this is such a testimony. Let me just share this with you. When Nancy and I started this church seven years ago, it was just gringo and Latino. That was it. Just gringo and Latino, and we were in the minority. We were losing. But God, over these last seven years, has just been bringing people, whether it's from the Middle East, from Southeast Asia, from different parts of the world in Africa, God has been doing it, and we just thank the Lord for that. Amen? Because we have a heart for the missions, and Metro Praise will see the missions won. Amen? Amen. Well, here's some good things to know about every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We have church. Come on out here in your nation. Amen. Right here in Chicago. Come on out here and join us. Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, Encounter Night. Can everybody say Encounter? Thank you. This is our prayer meeting, midweek service, and we also have Royal Rangers and Impact for our children. And uh, will you put up the slide? The last Wednesday of every month, we have a family night. So the last Wednesday of this month is going to be about your sweetheart and spreading the love. So come if you're single, and maybe you'll fall in love. If you're already in a couple, just come. Bring some candy, lots of candy. We'll be here. We'll watch a movie and have lots of games. Soul Surfer will be on about a young lady who lost her arm but kept surfing for Jesus. And then we're going to to talk about the just family and loving each other how many people love love amen it's okay to love love you're not cheesy look at your neighbor and say you're not cheesy amen and uh elevate amen every friday at 7 30 teenagers we'd rather have them here than out there on the streets adam tell us what's going on this month this entire month we dedicated to talk about relationships and what's going down we, we're talking about sex how to do it god's way because 
if you go on Facebook, for me being a youth pastor, a lot of the youth are friends with me. They're talking about relationships, things that they're doing, and, and we need to talk about it. And we're going through uh, some resources that we have. As a matter of fact, we ran out of all of our day like a Christian because all the youth are going back there and getting Amen. it and, and doing it. So this is what this month is dedicated for. Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Adam and the youth team. Amen. Praise God. You know... Date Like a Christian was a book that I wrote because of all the mistakes I made as a Christian trying to fall in love. Nancy taught me the right way how to do it, and I was able to write a book, and that's what they were going over in the youth group. And parents, if your kids don't have that book, we'll restock them back there. Let us know, and you can go over it with your children. It basically talks about abstinence, waiting until they're married, how to be friends through high school and college, and pick the right one. And even for young adults here that are single, it just teaches you to do it God's way. Can I hear amen? Amen. So we thank you for being a part of that young people. Just keep coming. You're the joy of our heart. And can somebody say love God? Can you say love people? Amen. That is our vision here. 12 years. 12 years is a significant number for us because there were 12 disciples and we have been seven years old right now. We're five years away from a number of 12 and already at seven years. Also, seven is a number of perfection. This is our seventh year of loving God, loving people. Can you say amen? I want to see what we look like five years from now when we hit 12 because 12 is the number of government and organization. Don't think I'm a weirdy, but I'm just giving you something to think about. Seven is the year of perfection. That's what we turn this next month in March, and 12 is the number of government. So I want to shoot for the next five years to establish what God wants us to have here so we can reach the world for Jesus. They say on average it takes about 10 to 15 years for a church and pastor to get going. That's why sometimes you'll come, numbers go up and down, but we just keep chugga-chugga-choo-chewing along. Can somebody go, choo-choo? Amen. And I got one of our first members. I always embarrass him. Kevin, can you just wave your hand at us? Let's give it up for Kevin. Kevin, you can just testify. You came and joined us You know, at the beginning. Is there more people here now than there was then? Amen. A lot more. And so that's our vision. So for the next five years to go into that 12, we're going to keep loving God, loving people. We'll do it till Jesus gets back. The way we want to do it is connect, mentor, send. Connect you to the cross, mentor you with the cross, and send you out with the cross to change the world. The best way I think you can connect is through our life groups. Does anybody get life groups? Uh, get life at life groups. <laughs> Amen. Sorry, I kind of choked on my mint there. But how many get life at life groups? <laughs> Amen. Life group seven for adults meeting throughout the week, three for youth. Here's what a life group is very simply. It's a home Bible study and time of fellowship. Get together with others and pray, read your Bible, and get to share your life together. No pressure. You can just sit back and listen or you can engage. <coughs> oh, wow, that was a bad one. Berto, can you give me a, a, a paper towel or something? I need to spit out this mint. How many to hear my... <coughs> How many hear my voice and just kind of keep me in your prayer like we need to pray for him? Uh, people tell me to preach with mints, but this is what happens. I begin to choke on my own mint. A little bit embarrassing. This is the next part that's a little embarrassing. Let's give it up for Berto doing that for me. Praise the Lord. Heal me, Jesus. We believe in life groups. If you're new here and you haven't gone to a life group yet, in the back, there'll be somebody to meet you there, and then they'll invite you here today to their homes. Seven for adults, three for youth, and everybody say mentor. 
Thank you. See, when you connect to our church through the life group, you can begin to ask one of the life group leaders to mentor you in our discipleship process because we believe Jesus came to make disciples. And uh, Andrew, would you put up whatdoyoubelieveTV.com? I want to show you something I just made for free. Everybody say free. Thank you. Online for you to use and your friends. Because we were getting requests from other churches and other people to have materials and videos for them to learn our discipleship with. Well, if you go to whatdoyoubelieveTV.com and just scroll down a little bit, please, brother, you will see I have a three-step process. Everybody go, it's as easy as one, two, three. You see, now I can do like an infomercial. Yeah, you want to be a disciple? Are you ready to have your life changed? It's as easy as one, two, three. Watch the weekly video. Do the weekly lessons and have accountability. Maybe it's a little cheesy. Anyways, okay. You're like, man, you took something sacred and made it bad. No, we believe in discipleship. We're not going to lower it. I'm just teasing, please. This is serious. But the idea is I want people online to be able to do it. And for some of you with busy schedules, we don't want you to take the place of meeting with somebody, but this can be a supplement. We have the videos, and would you scroll down? We're going to start doing them every week. Here's the video, and you're going to begin to sign in, watch the video, do the lessons at your computer. And if you really love that lesson, and you know somebody else in another church or across the state or in another country, because we have people from other countries, you can say, hey, watch this video because they're free online. Can everybody say free? Thank you. And if you're interested in doing it, just go to the whatdoyoubelieveTV.com website. And then up top there, follow by email. Whenever I put out a new lesson, you will get it. And I believe, God, it will bless you. Amen. We want to go for 12 students online. We're almost up to that right now. So it's free. It's a resource that I felt God told me to do. And this is how we're not only mentoring in this church, but around the world. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. And then when you graduate from the 101, we're going to do the 201 with you here Sunday mornings at 730. Somebody say connect. Thank you. We want to connect you to the cross through a life group. Can somebody say mentor? Thank you. We want to mentor you with our books and discipleship. And then can somebody say send? Thank you. We want to see you change the world with the Lord Jesus Christ. 100,000 disciples here with 50 churches and 500 around the world. And if you really believe we can do it, can you say let's do it? One, two, three. Let's do it. Amen. Amen. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2? I want to share with you a few things before we receive our tithe and offering. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I want to talk to you today about why it's so important that we accomplish our goals here of raising money at the beginning of the year. There are a lot of churches that take advantage of their people, and we understand that. We do not want to be those kind of churches. We want to be a church that you can say, I'm proud of, and I support them. We are right now on a building fund at the beginning of the year because we have to clear off debt from last year and to fix things that broke, like our minivan, And we need to promote to grow so we can do more this year than we did last year. You see, you're here for a reason. Most of you in the second service came from last year. Something happened in your life, and you came here last year. Well, if we don't make room to grow, how can we have your friends come this year? If we don't make more opportunities to knock on doors and invite people to church, how can we do that? If we don't make our signs more visible, We want to believe God to clear off this debt. But let's be thankful for what we've already raised. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for $6,638? Thank you. Gracias. Thank you. But I want to share with you why it's so important just over the next few moments. Acts 2, 42. When you're there, can you say, I'm there? 
Thank you. Look at Acts 2.42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, so that means they went to church. They heard what the apostles said. They broke bread. That's in the sense of communion. And they prayed. Can everybody say church? Can everybody say prayer? And say discipleship. Amen. Communion comes through discipleship. They would do it with the disciples. Okay, does that sound like what Metro Praise does? Do you go to church? Do you pray here? Do you do discipleship here? Take communion here? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 43, we're doing good. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. How many have seen miracles in your life before? How many have seen God do some pretty awesome things? Where we get the word awe is awesome, awesome things, awesome. Are you all with me? That happens here. Lives are changed here. Demons are cast out here. Sick are healed here. Young people are serving God here. That's a miracle for any young person to serve God. Amen? Come on, you know teenagers today. Those things happen here. Isn't it awesome when teenagers serve the Lord, uh, Pastor Adam? That's awesome to me. And then in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Everybody go, sharing is caring. Come on, say it with a smile. Sharing is caring. Thank you. Now, you know, Bethany is uh, three years old, and she's learning this the hard way right now. It's very hard for her. She's been getting a lot of da-da's. That's what we call little spankings on the hand. Because what she'll do is she'll take Hannah's things and call them mine. 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 Did anybody raise any kids like this or daycare or take care of? Okay. You understand babysitters and parents. Mine. Mine. So we say, no, we have to give her da-da. That's Hannah's. And then the next thing that we're teaching her is what is yours you have to share. So she'll have something that's really good, and I'll come to her, and I go, Bethany, can I have some? And she'll go, no, mine. And then she'll get a little to die, and we'll say, no, you have to share. So then when I come home, I'll have something she likes, like candy or something, and I'll say, Bethany, guess what? I love you, and I want to share this with you. And she goes, oh, thank you. And I go, you know why I share? Because sharing is caring. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. It means it to you, too. Yeah, sharing is care. Would you share some of your resources? Would you share some of your tax refund? Because that's the season we're in, right? Would, oh, it gets quiet. You're going to get mad at me now? Would, would you share some of your resources with the church? Because if we don't have it, we can't use it. Let me give you an example of what, what I mean by this. Right now in India, Pastor Amit had to bury a pastor's wife, Pastor Timothy's wife, a village pastor. His wife died, and they had to bury him. They're poor. They don't have anything, but they've adopted two children from the village. So they're a generous group of people living in an Indian village. And when Pastor Amit went there, he said, how much did it cost to bury her? They said about uh, $125. He covered the cost. Pastor Amit, out of his budget, covered the cost. Now, if you don't know who Pastor Amit is, he oversees about 60 of our churches in southern India. So he takes his money and gives it. Well, instantly, I hear about this. and my, The pictures are on you, uh, uh, Facebook. You can see them of the funeral and everything. I instantly say, Pastor, we're going to cover it. Okay, So we're going to pay you back. You are a man of God. You stepped out there to help this, this family. And then I put it on Facebook. I say, we want to help Pastor Amid and this family to take care of the funeral. It's about $125. How many know that's inexpensive compared to American funerals? American funerals about what, 5000 So 125 that's pretty good. So I say, brothers and sisters, would you help us? And here's a giving link. Within about 10 minutes, it was already paid for and more than enough. Somebody say amen. 
Now, let me ask you a question. If we don't have a church, can we do things like that? If there's not a place for the body of Christ to get together to be taught, for their children to be taught, how can we meet the needs of the world? How can Sue Ellen in the back, Sue Ellen with that nice yellow scarf, can we give it up for Sue Ellen back there? Amen. You know what she does? Every Wednesday we bust in about 20 children from the west side, Ohio Park, Cicero in Ohio, bring them in for free. How can we bring in the kids from Ohio Park, the inner city, unless we have a van? How can we have a place for them to go unless we have a building? Are you all tracking with me? You, you can't raise your children without the house and the clothes. And Same thing with the church. So I just want you to see verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. I'm asking you today, would you help us to knock out that debt? Would you put it up there for us, please, brother? Thank you. In our church, we believe that we should give 10% to the Lord. That's what we honor him with out of our total income. And then an offering is what we give above that. This month, we need at least five to $6,000 above this, my friends, to keep operating. I'm not here to bribe you or to lie to you, but I can't lie to you on the other side. It's not that uh, it's okay if we don't give it. It's not okay if we don't give it. I have to be, you know, real honest with you here. I'm not going to lie and tell you, you know, it's okay. No, it's not. If we don't have these monies, I don't see how we can move forward in the next few months. I'm talking like the most drastic things, selling off the vehicles, closing the doors, looking for another spot. I'm talking code red. Can somebody say code red? I mean, you know the economy that we're in right now. And so what I'm asking you to do is for you to pray and ask, him to, ask God to use you, to give your best to this church. Have we been faithful with what you've already given us? Have you seen us go forward and reach people? Have we been good? At that, well, then will you help us this year? And for some of you, you might say, Pastor, I just don't have it. If I had, I would give it to you. Well, then would you believe God with me that he'll, he'll give it to you in a new way, in a creative way? Like I said, maybe tax season, you can give it. Maybe a raise. Maybe that job you're, you're, you're needing, God will bless you with if you'll get serious and pray and say, God, I want this, not just for me, but for your kingdom. I'm just asking you to step out in faith because that's what's going to make the difference for us. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up with us, please, today? Thank you for all that you do. We believe in the tithe and offering. We have pledge sheets in the back for your own sake if you want to make a pledge so that you can stick with it. And, and, and I have it itemized where the finances are going. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today for your church. A generous church that when I make a plea on Facebook, uh, over 125 came in within 10 minutes. Lord, we ask you to keep growing Metro Praise. Because this is a place where our families learn the gospel, where our young people are safe, and where we grow in our knowledge of you, and people from all nations come and serve you here. And Lord, we ask you to bless your people. No one here thinks money grows on trees. And Lord, you said the principle is we work and you bless our hard work. And then with those things you bless us with, we're to give it back to you, and then you give it back to us, shaking down, running together, uh, running over, Lord. And I pray right now you bless every business here, every unemployed person, that you make a way of employment for them, Lord. Those that are seeking, God, uh, new opportunities, raises and promotions and bonuses, Lord, bless your people. In Jesus' name. And, Lord, we also lift up our 200-plus churches in five different locations in Nigeria, northern and southern India, Pakistan and Nepal, and even the Philippines that we're soon to be working with. 
Would you touch these men and women of God that they would have their needs met and that the gospel would go forward? In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Let's say it today and mean it for the church and for your life. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing as you give today? Thank you so much. God bless you. Give the Lord a hand clap for the band today serving us. Amen. Thank you. This is the SUM Bible College Band. Would you open up with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18? And I'm going to review with you what we've been going through here on the nine mountains of influence. Uh, and Andrew, would you raise up the lights a little bit in the house, please, so I can see all their pretty faces. Can everybody smile at me today? Amen. Smile. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, smile. Jesus loves you. Amen. You are beautiful. Thank you for coming here. Look at your other neighbors. Say, I'm glad you're here. Will you thank them for coming today? Thank you. Thank you for coming. Awesome to see you. I've been going through the longest series of my ministry. I've never preached nine messages before on one subject. And so aren't you glad we didn't try to accomplish this in one day? Amen. So it's been over nine weeks. We are today in our seventh week. And the whole idea of mountains of influence are places in our culture that we are to be as Christians so that we can be the best and others can look up to us. Christians should have the best, best families. We should have the best churches. Christianity is the best religion. Amen. Aren't you glad you didn't show up a mosque today? Will you have to do alhamdulillah and pray five times facing Mecca to a demon God? Aren't you happy you serve a real Jesus today? Not some obese person and Buddha. Um, aren't you glad you came to church? Yeah. Amen. Nothing against everybody else. We love them, but aren't you glad you're here today? See, all these people talk about comparative religion, but they never read their books. See, I had to read the Bhagavad Gita, the study of Krishna. I've, I have the Quran at my house. It is not a fun book. Are you listening? They aren't the same. They all try, people who say they're the same don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the other stories, okay? The Bible is different. Jesus is different. We should be the best. How about in businesses? Should we be the best? I think we should be the Warren Buffetts, the Donald Trumps. We should be there at the top as the best inventors, the best owners of companies. Christians should be running things. Amen? How about next in government? How about getting some Christians back in there? Some real Christians, not hypocrites, not liars, not people who get sent to jail. Aren't you tired of people going to jail as our governor here in Illinois? We need to get the corruption out. How about media and arts? How many would like to see some more Christian entertainers? Enough of this Lady Gaga perverted Little Wayne and these sports stars abusing our money and taking it and wasting it on the world. How about some more Christian entertainers that really do something good with it like Tim Tebow and these other artists that give back. And then we looked at charity last week, being the best. How many are thankful for Christian charities in America and around the world? 
You are ever in trouble. You know where to go. It's the goodwill. It's Salvation Army. For those in homeless shelters or drug, drug rehabs, the best come from Christians. Whether it's foreign food aid and medical aid, it's always Christians that do the best. We learned that last week. And today we're going to learn about education. Now, this may not sound as exciting as all the others. How many were in school and you liked it as a kid growing up? You actually liked school. I want to know who my favorites are. Okay, we got some over there. How many of the rest of you just said, I didn't like being there. I had to get out as fast as I could. Okay, most of you. Can I tell you a story that's kind of funny? I think God has a sense of humor. I was a high school dropout. I hated school. And guess what? God called me to go back to school to get a master's degree and be a Bible college professor. I could see him nodding that, you know, hitting the angels going, look, look what I'm going to do to this guy who thinks he'll never be in school again. I have not stopped being in school since I got saved. So those of you here today going, oh, man, this message is not for me. Let me just tell you by my personal testimony, God has a sense of humor. You may find yourself in education whether you know it or not. The second thing I want to say is those who love education, like my wife, she was actually going to school to be a teacher in college before we got married, and she accepted the call of ministry. And this year she's graduating with her B.A. in theology. You see, God wants to use your giftings for the church. And then thirdly, I'm going to teach you now in Matthew 28, all of us are called to be disciples, and disciples are learners of Christ, and everybody is to teach the commands of God. So you're supposed to be a learner and a teacher. Can I hear an amen? All right, let's read it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Can everybody say disciples? The Greek word there is mathetaeus. You know what it means? Students of Jesus. Students of Jesus. So we're going to fill in the blank. Therefore, go and make students of Jesus. Let's give the definition. One, two, three. Therefore, go and make students of Jesus of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching. Can everybody say, and teaching? Thank you. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is asking you to be his student. So there's no way out of this, is there? Everybody has to be a student of Christ. Now, some of you, honestly, you may say, I just don't really enjoy reading. And Bible, you got to read it. Do you know that today they have so many different versions of how to get the Bible? They actually have an audio Bible put to hip-hop right now. Seriously, it's like... John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And there's actually a rap beat in the background. I am so serious. Word up, dog. I'm serious. They have a Bible to hip-hop, audio Bible. They got Charlton Heston for the old folks in here reading the Bible, John 3.16. And he's standing next to Israel in Jerusalem. Do you know that they have Bibles that you can put on with audio Bible? And it shows you nature scenes. The Lord is my shepherd. A little, little trickling stream goes by, a little deer in the field. There is no excuse from audio Bibles, from video Bibles, to Bibles with hip-hop why you shouldn't be learning the Bible. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And obeying the commands of God is not an option. That's why it's a command. Commands aren't suggestions, so we all have to do that. So today what I want to talk about is how you and I as Christians can be the best in education 
and take back what this world has taken from us. Let me give you a definition of education. It's the formal process by which society deliberately transmits its accumulated knowledge, skills, customs, and values from one generation to another. And in our culture, it's mainly in schools. Even in the Bible class, you come to 201, it's a school setting. You're going to fill in some answers to questions. School is the place where we learn. You might not call it that in every culture, but most places have it, whether it's in the villages and they're passing down their traditions. It's somewhat of a school or to a very organized school like a college this is what education is known to us. Now, I want to see how far we all have gone here in this congregation. So let's start at the far left. How many of you have gone to elementary school? Can I see you raise your hands? Okay, wonderful. How many of you went to junior high school? Can I see your hands? Okay, how many of you went to high school? Can I see your hands? How many of you went to college or a trade school? Can I see your hands? Hey, Amen. Look at all the smart people here. Give it up. Come on. Hey, Amen. Look, a lot of haters, a lot of haters. Nobody clapping for you. I'm clapping. Now, we know that you're smart if you haven't gone to college, but we acknowledge those who have. I want to give you some history today on education. It may blow your mind in our country. You see, I'm preaching to you today, and we're American citizens. We live here. We need to know what we can do to own the mountain of education. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. I want you to look at America's first and oldest college, and today still the most prestigious, Harvard University. Anybody ever heard of that college? Harvard University, established in 1643 by an English clergyman, John Harvard, to advance learning and to perpetuate its prosperity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches. That's why he founded it. Let's just think about this. Today in the cultures, aren't preachers looked at as being kind of ignoramuses? Aren't we kind of looked at like we're pretty dumb? But did you know that the most prestigious college in America, and by the way, American colleges are ranked among the best of the world. Just take U of I, for example. University of Illinois in Urbana. have a friend that pastors a church there, Pastor Grogan. Do you know that there's over 100 different people groups that come in as international students just to go to U of I here in America? America, people from Tokyo, Japan, from Beijing, China, to parts of the Middle East, America stands at the top. Now, at the top, the peak is Harvard, and Harvard was established by a pastor. You see, Christians have been pretty smart, haven't we? You know how he established it? By his own personal library. A pastor had 10,000 books in his library, and he said, you know what? We need to stop having illiterate Christians here. All these pilgrims are coming. Nobody's getting educated. We need to start a college. And he started a university, and he gave his library to it. Now, when we look at American history, many times people paint us with a broad brush, and they say all those founders, they were racist. They oppressed the Native Americans. Now, the first thing is most of us here today can't even trace our history back to that. So there's nobody even to be mad at here anymore. For example, just three generations ago, my family was in Poland and Italy. Can anybody relate to me? You can't trace your heritage in America past a few hundred year, a year, hundred years. So here, this was a time when most of us weren't, weren't even here. But let me just share with you something. Today in America, there is abortion. It's legal. But do you agree with abortion in this church today, friends? How many disagree with abortion? Say amen. Amen. But it's legal in this country, right? So just as it is now, there are things that are uh, atrocities to us, 
but they still are around. It was the same thing back then. Not everybody was treating Native Americans bad. Not everybody was treating slaves bad. There was a group of people, and then there was the real Christian group of people that were treating them good. Let me give you an example. Here you have Caleb Cheese Ha Taumak, and that's the best way I can pronounce his name, of the Wampanoag tribe. Class of 1665 was the first Native American to graduate from Harvard. You see, the Native Americans still to this day in Harvard are given scholarships to go to college. The Christians established colleges and allowed the Native Americans to come. So it doesn't mean everybody was oppressing them. It doesn't mean everything was going wrong. No Christians were there doing wonderful things, trying to do the best for the people that were there. Here was the early motto of Harvard, Veritas Christo et Ecclesia, meaning truth for Christ and the church. You might ask yourself right now, why is this important? When it comes down to the social issues and the the issues that we face in science, the ones who have the highest degrees and the smartest ones are usually the ones that start making the decisions and are on the president's council. And if right now we are not being based in Christ and upon his truth, the decisions that are being made by some of the smartest people are taking us away from God. And it's time we go back to our roots. Are you listening to me? How about this one during Black History Month? Let me tell you about Oberlin College, founded by a pair of Presbyterian ministers, John J. Shippard and Philio P. Stewart, and its second president was Charles Finney, the famous evangelist. So imagine a college starting by preachers, and then their second president is Billy Graham. Charles Finney was the Billy Graham of his day. He was a president of this Bible college. What was significant about Oberlin Bible uh, uh, I say Bible college by mistake. It was a normal college with liberal art degrees, but also theology. But what was significant about it? First college to graduate women and African Americans in 1837 and 62. Y'all ain't even hearing me right now. What do you hear about American history? Oh, we oppress the women, we oppress the Native American, we oppress the African American. That may be true for some, but that is not true for all. There were Christians that acknowledged, like this group of ministers starting a college, and said, women, we want you to go to college. The first woman graduated in 1837. African Americans, we want you to go to college. The very first African American to receive a Bachelor's of Arts degree in North America was Mary Jane Patterson. When was the Civil War? When did it end? 1835. She graduated from a Christian-based university three years before the South was even defeated. If that doesn't show you that Christians were doing the right thing, I don't know what else will. One historian called Oberlin uh, the town that started the Civil War due to its reputation as a hotbed of abolitionism. I want you to understand this. Oberlin started as a college and then it had a town, a college town. That town was so much against slavery and was for civil rights that they called this town that this town was the town that started the Civil War. Oberlin was a key stop along the Underground Railroad. And then when you look here to the right, you see this monument. That monument is a monument to two missionaries from Oberlin that went out there and died, in, uh, went out to China and died as martyrs. So could you imagine going to a secular university still to this day and seeing a monument and going, hey, man, what's that monument there for? Uh, Some rich, powerful people? No, that monument is to remind us that two of our graduates gave their life for Jesus on a Chinese mission field. You see, education is important, my friend. It determines how we think.
Can I show you the first textbook in colonial America? How many would like to see that? Can I hear an amen? Now, don't lie. I hope you want to see it now, okay? You're like, I don't want to see a textbook. No, you're going to. You're going to love it. The first textbook in colonial America was called the New England Primer in 1777. And the primer was built on rote memorization. Let me, can everybody look up at me, please? How many know we have lost the art of memorization in our schools today? Most people don't even know what, what state borders the Pacific Ocean and what states border the Atlantic Ocean. We cannot remember anymore. Technology is good, but we have dulled down our minds to not be able to remember. Back then, kids could count off all 50 states, their capitals. They could name all of the presidents, not too many up at that time, but they can name their presidents. We could hardly do that. Why? Because we didn't practice rote memorization to pro prepare our minds to continually memorize. They were brilliant back then. And here was their textbook. And what was the goal of it? The goal of the primer was to enable the child to define the limits of his self or herself by relating their life to the authority of God and their parents. What was the purpose of the textbook? It was to tell the young person, here are the limits in which you live and define yourself. You don't want to go outside of this limit. You don't want to break God's commandments, and you don't want to disobey your parents. But inside your parents' commandments and inside God's commandments, you will find a good life. How many think some elementary students need to be taught that in public schools? How many think some public schools need to teach people not just what they feel is right, because you see, when morality is based on opinion, a child can just say, well, that's your opinion, teacher. Well, that's your opinion, mom. But when, uh, when truth is based upon the word of God, you can't change that. God said, that settles it. I believe it. Amen? Can I show you what this textbook looks like? This blesses my soul. Here is how the children learned ABCs in the public schools in the 1777s, in the 17th, uh, 18th century. Here's, here's how they learned it in a rhyme so they can memorize. Remember, it was all about rote memorization, to memorize. In Adam's fall, we send all. The life to mend, thy book attend. I don't even think y'all even heard me. We haven't even got to see, and you've already learned you're a sinner and need to live by the word of God. Don't you think that would help some kids today? How many think we need to take that down to Prosser and teach some people that? You're a sinner, and you need this Bible. This is what our children were taught. I know it's hard for some of you to see. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Repeat it, boys and girls, one more time. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. See, that's rote memorization. You just force yourself to remember. And I guarantee you would find somebody 40, 50 years later after elementary school. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. It began to penetrate their mind. That's why. How many rapes were back then compared to today? How many murders were back then compared to today? How many sexually transmitted diseases were there? How much homosexuality? How much violence? Come on, somebody. You think we are where we are today as a culture and our children, the way we are by just some mistake, by accident? No, it's because we have stopped teaching our children the principles of God. Oh, I just got to preach right now. This Paul's with me right now. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs. Proverbs where it talks about training up your child. I need you all to see this today because you you got to believe that God had a plan for us. And yes, America was a unique nation. Not saying a perfect nation, but it was a unique nation that put God in the forefront of all it did. Proverbs 22, verse 6. This was their motto. This is what teachers believed. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. How many believe that should be back in our elementary schools? 
Amen. Praise God. Would you go back to that slide there for me, please? In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Thy life to men, this book attend. The cat doth play and after slay. A dog will bite a thief at night. Hey, you want to be a thief? You'll get bitten by the dog. That's something that needs to be taught. An eagle aflight is out of sight. The idle fool is whipped at school. Oh, y'all, come on. Come on, can I get an amen? Boy, I wish we could do that with some of the youth right here. Come on, I got a belt just for you. Did anybody here ever go to a school where you could get whipped? I went to a school where I could get whipped, and I got whipped all the time. They had a pa I'm not talking about abuse. Please don't hear. I'm not talking about abuse and what's been called discipline. Everybody should know that's a sin. I'm talking about there's a paddle that says train up a child well, some scripture on it, and that pastor or that principal or that teacher had permission to do it by your parents under certain circumstances. I got it at least four to five times. You know, sometimes my, my parents said if beating you would have made you better, you'd be an angel by now because I would get whipped all the time. But that's what it taught the kids because that is a proverb. The Bible teaches us. We have Ricky right here. He works as a police officer. Ricky, could you raise your hand? Let's give it up for Chicago's finest. Amen. He will tell you all the time the disrespect he gets on these streets. You know why? Because nobody ever punished their children. These children never learned respect, so they don't respect him, and they don't respect the teachers, and that's why you'll get shot and get beat up just for a traffic road rage because nobody's learned respect. They used to be taught it as children. An idle fool is whipped at school. I can't do that for SUM students. I got some SUM students I want to help out. Amen. You get no amens on that, Pastor. We'll, we'll sue you. You'll catch a charge. Okay, amen. I won't do that. As runs the glass, man's life doth pass. We're on G right now. My book and heart shall never part. Isn't that wonderful? That the book of God and my heart will never part. Job feels the rod and blesses God. So you go through hard times in life, you feel the rod of God's correction, you bless God. Job feels the rod, but he blesses God. Wouldn't that be good for all of our teenagers committing suicide? Do you know that over 10, 20, 30,000 a year commit suicide in this country? In the land of the prosperous, the home of the brave, where our children can have everything they want. Most of the children come from middle class to upper middle class homes. Have you heard about the young lady that hung herself in, in her closet because she, wasn't, uh, she was made fun of and bullied at school? Have you heard about these teenagers? Teenagers that overdose on drugs because they're doing steroids to get into the, the school and then they, they, they overdose and they die. This is teaching them Job feels the rod and blesses God. Don't give up. Don't commit suicide. How about this? Prod Korah's troops were swallowed up. Now, I don't know how that rhymes, but it is a good thing to know. There's no rhyme and it's just boom. And if, I, I bet most adults in here don't even know who Korah's troops were. Who Korah was. Korah was somebody that him and his family rebelled against Moses. God split open the earth. They went right down into the earth. And this is there, whether it rhymes or not, is teaching them, don't you rebel. The lion bold, the lamb doth hold. The Bible says the lion and lamb shall lay together. The moon shines bright in time of night. How many think these are pretty good? Amen. Can I tell you what our elementary kids are learning today? These are children's books today that have literally been in our schools, East Coast and West Coast. Most liberal part of our countries are already bringing them into your children's kit, to, to, your, to, the, to the elementary school level. And here's the one of the books, King and King, the story of a prince who does not like princesses but falls in love with another prince, and they both become king and king. 
There are two kings kissing right there. These are already in your schools. This is how far now we have come. Are you all tracking with me? They used to learn about in Adam's fall, we sinned all. But now they're learning. It's okay. There's a whole entire reteaching to our school and to our military right now to teach against gender. It's not boys and girls in a different line. It's by height or it's by shoelace color. They are no longer going to gender identify students. They want the children to both uh, to be able to choose their own sexuality and their own gender. They don't want teachers to have to force them to be a boy or a girl. This is being taught right now. You want the proof? Dr. Michael Brown research wrote the book, A Queer Thing Happened to America. I'll put it up online. He has the research. It's happening right now in California, Massachusetts, Vermont. And I could show you a whole lot more books like this. This is what they're being taught right now in public schools. Where the Bible used to be the main textbooks, where nursery rhymes reminded them of God, these are the things that they're learning now. What else is being taught today that is equally as destructive? Evolution, that all organisms on earth descended from a common ancestor or an ancestral gene pool. Current species are a stage in the process of evolution with their diversity, the product of a long series of specialization and extinction events. Basically, survival of the fittest. Top dog is the best dog. The tree of life is helpful in seeing the evolution of the past. How many have ever seen that chart of man coming from the monkey? But do you know what you were before you were a monkey according to evolution? you got to get the tree. By the way, do you know that Darwin's only education was a theological education? He's known as one of the greatest scientists. A, it shows us that theology degrees had the liberal arts taught into them. Pastors knew science and mathematics and many languages, number one. And number two, it shows what happens when the people took their eyes off God and put their eyes on the flesh. They turned us away from the things of God. You're no longer made in the image of God. This is where you come from. This is the tree of life that started in the 1900s and has been developed to today from evolution. You know what you you are down at the bottom where you came from bacteria yeah see they show you this they show you this monkey and kind of being formed and they want you to feel that that's reasonable they don't tell you the whole story until you get into higher levels of biology but you can look it online it's this is what they believe we came from bacteria and after bacteria what did we grow up to be a worm we became a worm so that's where you came from a worm and then after being a worm what did you become you became a snake. This is online. You can find it anywhere. There's no secret to this, friends. And after being a snake, what did you become? You became a lizard. And then after becoming a lizard, you became an ape. And then now you're at the top as a man. Can I just tell you two things that evolution has done more destructive than most of people here understand? Let me, number one, let me tell you about abortion. You see, what they did is they said the embryo was no longer a human being. The same guys that designed this came up with an understanding called embryology. Everybody say embryology. What they began to do was study embryos, and they said the embryo of a dog, of a snake, of a baby boy or girl all look the same in that embryo. And so what they began to say is that the embryo is not a person, nor is this embryo a dog. So we could kill babies just like you had scrambled eggs this morning. Forty million children have been killed in America because some smart people took the mountain of education and convinced the rest of the people that this is not really a human being when it's an embryo. See how much it matters? Let me tell you the next thing. You want, you, you want to know when racists got the worst in America? Because the racist, the moment in the late 1800s this came out, guess what they could say to all the African Americans? They don't have a soul because they're lower on that tree. 
You see, that's when it got the worst. It's when the evolutionists got to work together with the people of that day and even supposed Christians, not all of them, but the supposed Christians, and they said they don't have a soul. They actually went to the aborigines of Australia, killed them, put them in the Smithsonian Institute, and said they're missing links. It wasn't until Christian missionaries went to the went to the aborigine people, actually spoke to them, and realized they were human beings just like us. Do you want to know who used racism in evolutionary theology the best? Hitler. Because this is what Hitler did. He said, this is true, right? And everybody agreed. All the smart people of Germany, all the top scientists began to teach this to the children. He went for the children first. He couldn't do it with the parents. He went for the children, and he began to teach them. That tree is right, correct? Well, then there's got to be a human being higher than the other human beings. And if evolution is true, everybody look up at me today. If evolution is true, that is a fact. There has to be a group of us here that are more higher than the others. If evolution is true, there's a snake that's better than the other snakes. There's a dog that's better than the other. Then that means there has to be a human being that's better than the other human beings. And the top scientists of Germany began to study this. And guess who they said was the best one? The Aryan race. Blonde hair, blue eyes. And then it just goes down from here. And then the ones that they considered the lowest on that tree because they drew the line between human and ape, they drew the line and they said the rest of them can die like dogs. And that's when they began to go after people. And you know what they told the children? They told the children in school, if your parents disagree, let us know. And they began to arrest the parents because the children actually thought they were doing the right thing by handing in their parents at home when the parents would disagree with Hitler or Nazi Germany. Two things happen when you believe evolution. You will kill babies, and eventually, I don't care how long it takes to a sophisticated culture, Germany thought it would never happen to them, but it will happen, and it will always happen. Somebody will raise up and say, we are the best. And you know what the next phrase is, to heck with the rest. But I will say it the Christian way. Amen? I want to give you some things to think about today. The moment we started teaching that there is no morality in our schools, the moment we started teaching them that they were animals, guess what they began to act like? 1970, school prayer was taken out. What has it been replaced with? Metal detectors. In the 1950s, the biggest problems we had in our schools, teachers were complaining that they were talking too much and chewing gum. The biggest problems of the 21st century is gangs, gangs rape, and violence, drug abuse. In uh, April, 19, uh, April 20th, 1999, Eric Harris, 18, Dylan Kybold, 17, killed 12 students and a teacher, wounded 23 before killing themselves in Columbine High School. Never before did this happen. March 24th, uh, 21st, 2005, 16-year-old Jeff Weiss shot and killed five classmates. And the man that's being pictured right here, Sung Young Chow, April 16, 2007, killed 32 people on Virginia Tech University, wounded 25 others before committing suicide. What happens when you teach a generation they're animals? What happens when you teach them you came from a worm, you came from a snake, you came from a lizard, you came from a monkey? They act like it. And then some people might stand back, you know, maybe stand back the people out there downtown, and they'll say, well, we're much better than them. You want to know what it looks like when it happens to big bankers? You get Enron because they don't care about you. You're just a little ant they're going to step on. You know when it happens in government? Look at your governor in jail. When people stop thinking that you are equal in the creation of God, they will take power and authority over you, whether it be in money and corruption or in violence. Bernie Madoff, he won. 
Because he took he he duped you just like the one dog dupes the other dog and gets his bone, he got your bone. Solyndra got our bone. You see, that's the way the world looks when you take God out of see in Adam's fall, we send all. In thy book, I'm going to keep close to my heart. You see, this is what happens when you take God out of our educational system. Not only does it hurt our young people and our children, they don't know who they are and their identity and their morality, but it begins to affect our businessmen. It begins to affect our politicians. It begins the way we think to look at everything. But I believe we got an answer for this in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody make some noise. Come on, I believe we need to bring an answer to this. When we say Metro Praise is called to have 50 locations, this is what 50 campuses look like. And if you look right to the left of that sanctuary is a K-12 through school. I would like to see schools get set up into this city to give it free to the people who need it the most. It's time that you believe in a church that has a vision to reach back into our schools. And let me say to some of you who are doubting Thomases right now, is there 50 Catholic campuses that look like this in our city? Pimping people to have private school, charging them an arm and a leg just so they can get a, a step up. You go right down here to St. Vidars. They got a church. They got a chapel. They got a school. They got a gymnasium. You go right down here on Irving Park. There's another one, gymnasium and school. We need 50 campuses like this, after school programs, K through 12, a Bible college, and a university for the arts. God can do it, my friends. God used a shoe salesman like D.L. Moody to start one of the best Bible colleges right at the lakefront. You see, if Christians don't have a dream and a vision for education, somebody else's dream and vision will win. Because if they can win our young people, they will win our nation. And right now, statistics are going down, my friends, for Christianity. Baby boomers, 55 and older, about 60% are Christian. Generation Xers from about 20, uh, excuse me, from about 30 to 55 are now only about 30% Christian. And then you got the next generation under me is only in the double digits, around 12, 15% Christian right now. We are losing our young people. Why? Josh, McDow uh, Josh McDowell says it so best in his book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, goes to josh.org. Josh McDowell put it best. We lose two out of three out of our kids when we put them in a secular university because they're taught that God doesn't exist. They came from an animal. Do as you will. Find your path in life. We lose two out of three of them in our universities. Josh McDowell, he works with all of them. Go out there to U of I. They find them all the time. U of I, uh, our church out there, Urbana Assembly, they find them all the time. And I've been with them. They confess it. They say, I was brought up in this. I knew like this, but I came out here. I met some professors. Christianity looked dumb. I was made to think my pastor was dumb. I took the easier road, the place that made me the most happiest, and then I found that path leading me down to hell. But it was when I met the college ministry, Excel College Ministry, Terry Oster, that they begin to bring them back. They have a house there on the quad. We need to get back our schools. You know that it's legal in America for your students to start a Christian club at their school? They have the Boricua Dance Club. They have the Gay and Homosexuality Club. You know that they can start a Christian club at their public school. We need to get back into our schools. Somebody say amen. Thank you. I want to give you four things that we can all take part of if you want to take back the mountain of education. Number one, we need to believe Jesus is the foundation of all truth. I don't have time to explain it, but just hear me at this. 
If there isn't an intelligent creator, intelligence would not exist among us. The very fact that we have contemplation and are talking about why we talk and we think about why we are here is to show we're not animals of instinct. And so, therefore, we have a spark, a conscience, an intelligence about ourselves that would make no sense unless we are made in the image of an intelligent creator. Because if we were just products of evolutionary chance, we would just be people of instinct. But we have intelligence. Are you intelligent? Is anybody here intelligent? I might have lost you right there. Let's start again. Are you intelligent? It's not a trick question. Your pastor believes you are. Your intelligence is a gift from God. The very fact that you know truth is a gift from God. That is a gift from your creator. Otherwise, things would not make any sense because sense is given to us by common sense. Where does common sense come from? It comes from somewhere. We call it a conscience. Do animals have the sense like we do? No, a dog does things out of instinct. It doesn't question why it eats another dog or why an alligator eats the egg of its own young to survive. It doesn't question those things. It lives by its own instinct. You question things, don't you? How many here question things in life? Amen. Number one, we need to believe that the truth of all truth comes from Jesus. Why is arithmetic true? Because God established arithmetic. That's something that will blow your mind. I wish I had time to get into this with you. Not just says me, says the philosophers at Harvard that are still Christian. For mathematics to even make sense, there has to be a basis from which we understand mathematics. If I put two apples in front of a dog and say, what, do, uh, what, what is this number? They don't even understand numbers. The fact that you can contemplate numbers is a gift from God. So meaning the truth is God and all truth comes from him. Amen. Number two, get the best education you can in your field. Here's why I want to encourage every single one of you. Be the best you can be. Maybe you're working at a factory. Well, understand the factory better than anybody else. Strive to be the best. Maybe you work in construction. Strive to be the best in construction. Maybe you're working as a teacher in a school. Be the best teacher. Others of you working in retail, study your product, know your customer. Get the best education where you are to excel. Amen? So that when people have a question, they go to you. And then they'll look to you as the leader on the job, and then you can give glory to God, and that's a testimony, and that's a mountain of influence. Amen? Number three, get involved in your public school. Because many of us don't have the option, you have to send your kids to public school, K through 12. Get involved. Understand how they're teaching sexual education. You need to ask them, are they going to be reading the King and King book? Well, on that day, you want your kids to come home. Get an understanding of how they're teaching biology and the time they're doing it. And while they're teaching biology and teaching your children they came from bacteria, go to AnswersInGenesis.org and begin to get the Christian videos to combat the lie because they won't even tell our side of the story anymore. That shows you how much they're already controlling it. And number four, if you can, homeschooling will be a great blessing to you. I've seen this demonstrated in my pastor's life well, and some in this church have done it well. And we want to encourage you, if you can, and there's multiple ways to homeschool. There's the kind where you sit home with your children, if you can. Then there's the other kind where you drop them off at other homes, and they take turns going through their lessons. And then there's places like churches, just like in the colonial days, where they get together and they study as a group, but they get to achieve at their own pace. Do you know that most homeschoolers graduate at 16 years old? How much of, of what in high school you're learning is repetition because this person's not paying attention and all the distractions? If you actually just sat down and did the work and moved at your own pace, most of us here could graduate from high school at 14, 15, or 16 years old. 
There's statistics that prove it. Now, in our church, we're never going to make you feel like you have to do one way or the other. But my personal preference is to homeschool my children at least through those formative years of preschool to elementary school when there are any psychologists will tell you that's when they are being formed in their conscience and their mind from five years old to ten years old. Are you all listening to me? I want to go through these scriptures quickly. Believe Jesus is the foundation of all truth. Can you turn there? John 14, 6, please. If you're learning today in church, can you say amen? I'm glad you came today. Thank you so much. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 16. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know that uh, Sir Isaac Newton wrote more about the Bible than he did about uh, physics? He was one of the greatest physics scientists of our time. Wrote more about the Bible than he did about physics. Do you know that Thomas Edison was homeschooled? Albert Einstein was homeschooled. Why? Because foundational knowledge comes from God. And when parents teach this foundational knowledge, that God is the source of this knowledge, they are able to build upon that all the other sciences. Sciences are wonderful. How animals change and adapt, that is true. We're not against science. We're not against uh, history or the studying of all of the social events in the world. Like I said, Darwin's only degree was a theological degree. So he obviously knew science as a pastor, but how much more so could a scientist learn good science if we don't try to confuse it with morality? And that's what the world wants to do is they want to teach and give you the facts and then they want to sugarcoat it and kind of uh, put their little uh, world view upon those facts. And it's like strychnine. You don't need a lot, but a little bit will kill you and you could have it in a Twinkie and anything else. And what they're telling our kids in college is there's no real truth. We're so much smarter than your pastor. You can be a scientist and a doctor and a lawyer without believing in God. And they're not telling these kids that without God, the foundation falls apart. Do you know that more suicide today is among the rich than it is among the poor? Did you know that? More suicide is among the rich than it is among the poor? And do you know that some of the most violent crimes that we're seeing in the inner city is not a lack of anything other than education and people not being taught that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their life? You talk to most gangbangers, and I've watched uh, Gangs in America or those shows on History Channel. Anybody ever watch that? Uh, okay, about two of you. Do you know that there was actually a family on there that used to come to this church that was on there? And what did they say? We don't think of them as people. We think of them as animals. Imagine if we went to these inner cities, just like we're going to the west side, and not just in a religious sense, because there's plenty of churches and liquor stores there, but in a real genuine sense, begin to teach the children, you're in the image of God. You're in the image of God. God created you to know him. Do you know that when we go out to Ohio Park and we do face painting, you know the number one face painting they want is of the graves of their lost relatives. I want a tattoo for my cousin that died, my uncle that died. Am I telling the truth, Leilani? The number one thing they want, imagine when we go out there, we start to tell them you're special. You're made in the image of God. What about all the people at our universities right now that, that are there, that are drinking and partying? We teach them Jesus is the answer. Amen? Praise God. 2 Peter 1.5, get the best education you can. 2 Peter 1.5 talks about if you have faith in God, you need to do some things in life. Does anybody here have faith in God? Come on, somebody say, I got faith. Amen. Thank you. Just wake you up a little bit. Here's what it says. For this reason, make every effort. Somebody say every effort. Thank you. To add to your faith what? Goodness and goodness to what? Knowledge. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind. Come on, somebody say mind. I'm not making it up. It's a Bible scripture. Rote memorization. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When you put God on your mind, God will say hunger for knowledge. Whether you're on your job, whether you're being trained in college and those of you in school, God will give you a hunger for it because he wants you to grow in knowledge. He wants you to be the best at what you're doing and to know the most about it, to be the most successful. The Bible says that people perish for lack of knowledge. But through knowledge there is power. So as a man thinketh, so is he. If you can think and know what an inventor knows, you'll be an inventor. If you can think like a doctor and know what a doctor knows, you'll be a doctor. How many know doctors are just like us? It's just a difference of what they know. How many lawyers? I mean, whatever you want to be in life, they're just like us. I'm just like you. I just know what I teach in this field. You are. God has planned for all of you to be in a different field. All you have to do is show up there and go, God, here I am as an empty cup fill me with the knowledge and it doesn't matter if the professors the universities or any of them are Christians in your field knowledge comes from God when it's true that came from God so when you discover something as a scientist like the top leading scientists of the genome project the leading science Francis Collins who was who was put on staff by the President Obama to discover the whole entire genome code of your DNA is a Christian and so when he looks at things in the DNA he goes I know who did that God did that he gives it back to God amen lastly get involved in your public schools Matthew 10 16 would you turn there quickly Matthew 10 16 Jesus said you are like sheep and you're going among the wolves. How many know what wolves like to eat? Okay, just, yeah, they want to eat some sheep. Look at your neighbor and go, mm. <laughs> Now look at your other neighbor and go, <laughs> Nobody Nobody's doing that one today. I lost you on that one. Maybe, maybe, maybe a few husband and wives. My face is red. It sounded a lot better than how it came out. I just want to wake you guys up. Some of you are just like, wow, education, but it's, you know, just, okay, anyways, moving on. Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now look what he says. Hey, guys, they're going to try to eat you out here. They're going to try to take you down. They're going to try to take your money, take, take your influence, take your family. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So you need to be shrewd. What are you teaching my kid here about sex education? Oh, that's a little weird. We don't feel comfortable. No, I feel comfortable. Tell me what you teach my kid about sex education. I want to know what you're going to teach them here. What books do you have in the library? What are your stances on these different things? Parents have to get involved in public schools. And let me just demythicize what you hear in the liberal media. Christians are still the biggest population here. There's more of us than there is of them. More people still believe in God than don't believe in God. Most people don't feel comfortable with king and king being taught in their schools. My friends, you get to be involved as a parent. You get to make sure the right superintendent is there, the right principal is there, the right teacher is there. We don't need to go into the closet while they're coming out the closet. And right now we have pastors meeting with Mayor Rahm Emanuel, say whatever you want about him, but he's sincerely meeting with some of my friends and faith world and different pastors, and they're trying to establish the after-school programs with the churches because it's the churches that have the only youth groups and youth programs that are effective with young people. You look at our church, these are all young people. They could have been out there. And so Rahm Emanuel's waking up to it. Pay my youth pastor $30,000, and he'll run the after-school program. That's what we need, amen? So vote for it if you get a chance. 
But get involved, parents, because you need to be there to make a difference. And then lastly, homeschooling. Luke 2.52. Simply means describe homeschooling. Homeschooling means for a certain time that you're going to bring the kids into your house and teach them. There is a lawful way to do this. Now, some Christians have gotten bad reputations and things have been done wrong, but there is a good way to do this. I've seen it demonstrated well in my life uh, with uh, Brother Anthony as I've witnessed in my life how well he's done it. Uh, Lauren and some in the back have grown up with friends that were homeschooled and then brought into private school. Like anything, it has its imperfections, but I want to be a good pastor and share this information with you. Amen? Look at Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Guess what? Jesus was homeschooled. <laughs> Man, you all may not understand this, but we don't think about it a lot. Do you know Jesus ate with his hands? Jesus didn't use toilet paper. He used his left hand. And Jesus was homeschooled. It got quiet when I preached like that. I'm just letting you understand. Jesus grew up in a village, rural setting. How did he turn out? It's okay if our kids don't understand all the sex, money, and drugs in the schools today. They can still learn. They can still grow. History books, are you can get them at the library. And if you're a good parent, you can share that information. And especially in a church like this that's going to begin collaborating together, see, I'm going to help teach in the, in the homeschooling. My wife is, and some of our SGM students are going to do it. So eventually, you can begin to have college-educated pastors and leaders just like they are there, and we can start helping teach them these subjects. And that's one of the things I want to put up here as a, as a resource if you're interested in it. Now, I can't speak from experience. I haven't done it, but when Brother Anthony comes around April, him and his wife will be here. They've done it successfully already with three of their children in college serving the Lord, and they didn't have sex before marriage or drink alcohol and party and all of that, and they're not weirdies. Everybody say weirdies. They're not weirdies. Amen. Thank you. And would you put up the slide for me, please? Here's the resource, homeschool.com. And as my wife and I begin to experiment with it and do it, you may want to do it with us, and you can ask us how to do it. We're not a cult. We're not moving on a commune. I went to public school, and I'm still here. But if you are like some of us in the church, they're like, we need to get our kids a better option. Because it only seems like there's two, right? It's the public schools or very expensive Catholic schools. There are some good Christian schools, but they're also very expensive as well. So there's the website. And I want you to watch this video, especially for those of you who may have a negative uh, belief already of homeschooling. I think this young man kind of helps us demythicize uh, some of these ideas. Uh, brother. So I'm in college now, but before that, I was homeschooled. I did all my school at my house. My mom was the teacher and my dad was the principal. And I know what you're thinking. Homeschooled? So does that mean you were a genius or an idiot? Have you ever been outside? Were you locked up in a basement? Did you take yourself to prom in the living room? Yeah, well that explains your outfit. People were constantly asking me why I didn't go to regular school. Like I was some kind of leper. Obviously there's a lot of misconceptions about how homeschooling works. So here are the top seven lies about homeschooling debunked. Number seven, homeschoolers are really sheltered. People think that homeschoolers know nothing about pop culture at all. They think they've never heard of Lady Gaga or the coolest latest movies. But think about how nice that sounds. Living in a world where you don't know who Lady Gaga is. That sounds like heaven. But it's not even just pop culture. People think that if a homeschooler stepped outside their front door, they would get completely pulverized by the real world. Well, you know what? If being shielded from sex, drugs, and alcohol when I was in middle school makes me shelter then yes, I was sheltered. But that doesn't mean it was like... Finding Nemo. 
Son, what if I told you about watching PG-rated movies? Now go grab your Bible, we're going to Awana. Mm. Oh, and speaking of that, number six, all homeschoolers go to church seven days a week. Hi, I have accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. Are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is joyous news. Do you want to come to my church on Sunday? I'm busy, I'm sorry. Okay, that's no problem. We have a prayer group on Saturday. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm busy that time too. Well, you can come on Friday then! It's true that homeschoolers are probably more likely to be regular church attendees. But that doesn't make us all like that guy. Number five, homeschoolers don't actually do school. Some people think that homeschooling is a big, fat joke. And that kids that are homeschooled are actually getting a free pass to do nothing. They think their parents are like, Okay, we're gonna go learn about physics at the amusement park! And today's science assignment? A nature walk in the backyard while mom watches Dr. Oz. Now, I'm not saying that homeschoolers don't have the best field trip. But come on, this is just insulting. That's like saying that you don't have clean clothes just because you don't go to a laundromat to wash them. Number four, it's impossible for homeschoolers to have friends. People seem to think that homeschoolers are completely isolated from the outside world. They hear homeschool and they think that you live on a farm, or the wilderness, or in a log cabin. Just anywhere that's an hour away from a Walmart. They think that if they asked a homeschooler who their friends are, the homeschooler would say, My siblings are my bestest friends! They are all I need! And while this may be true in select cases, the vast majority of homeschoolers have just as many friends as you do. They just have to go and actively seek out friendships. Number three, homeschoolers are really shy. Hey, I heard you were homeschooled. Um, yeah, I was, you know. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it... Do you like it? Uh, yeah, we okay, yeah. I kinda liked it enough. We're not all like that. Like I said, homeschoolers have to actively seek out friendships. So they're forced to come out of their shell more than other kids. And sure, there are shy homeschoolers, but there's also shy public schoolers too. What's their excuse? There's nothing wrong with being shy anyways. Number two, and this is the dumbest one of them all. Wait for it. Homeschoolers have no lives. Let me get this straight. You spend eight hours a day in a specific classroom at a specific time every day? And I'm the one that's missing out on life experiences? Heck no! I got up at six in the morning so I could get all my school done so I can make a tire swing outside. My life is awesome! While you're sitting in class, I'm outside building a fort with the neighbors. Yeah, they're homeschooled too. Number one, homeschoolers do school in their pajamas. But this isn't so much a lie as it is a reality. And it is the very... Very, very best thing about being homeschooled. So the next time you run into a homeschooler, don't ask them if they have any friends. Just say, PLEASE TAKE ME WITH YOU! Hey man, can we give a hand clap for homeschooling? Would you stand up with me please as the band and altar workers come? How many enjoyed something today in uh, Sunday school, I guess we would call it, amen? Learning today. I want to give you uh, something to consider before we leave out here today. The second president of the United States, John Adams, said this about the Bible. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, industry, justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow man to piety, love, and reverence towards Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? When a president was asked what would make the best culture, he said the Bible. And what did we used to put into our schools? The Bible. Now, you be the judge of this. You get to decide, okay? 
Is our culture today better or worse than it was back then? You decide. You just look around today. Um, I'll, you know, I invite you to Belmont and Clark around 10 o'clock tonight. Go walk around down there. You know, around 9, 10 o'clock, you know, go, go, you know, Ohio Park, Cicero, Ohio. Walk around there. Just start walking on the west side, Lawndale community. Go to Garfield Park. Do me a favor. I want you to hang out at Shores High School. Just, just right here, Shores High School. Just go there at 3.30. When they all get out, and tell me what you hear coming out of their mouths. What has happened to us? I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying we've fallen from where we used to be. What happened? We took that out. We don't even let our kids pray in school anymore. Do you know that it got so strict that they were telling graduating students that they couldn't even pray if they were the valedictorian of their school? There was big court cases about it. I don't want to get political, but I'm just saying, you work the hardest, you get to show up that day and give a speech. And there was a student that put in their speech a prayer. It has to get approved beforehand. And they said, we won't let you pray. And then they said, well, can I at least thank God? They would not even let the student thank God. Check it out. So have we become better or worse? Look at our video games for our children. Look at the issues we deal with now today. I want to invite you to go back to the Bible and you become a student. You become a disciple. Start with you. You be a learner of Jesus and then teach his ways. And then if you are called to this mountain, which I hope somebody here is, start realizing Jesus is the foundation of truth. Start getting involved and making differences. I want you at the PTA meeting, the Parent Teacher Association of Shores. We want you to be there to run for the offices that they're giving. God can use us to make a difference here again. And for those of you that say, I want to homeschool, God bless you. It's okay if you don't understand it all. My wife and I are going to learn with you. But today as we close out, I want to just pray for some certain people today. Number one, I want to pray for those that are in school and you already feel those pressures, whether it's high school or college or the trade school you've been going to, and you're just feeling like, man, I, I thought I was just going to come and learn, but there is so much indoctrination I'm getting here, so much pressure. We have uh, in our Wicker Park campus, we have students at the Art Institute. What do you think some of their pressures are? They just want to be in fashion. They, they just want to sew and knit these young ladies. What do you think they hear all around them all day long? We need to pray for our students. And then today, if you're here as a parent and you really care about what's going on and you want to lift up your kids' school or you want to come and let's pray for them because you see as a parent that they're starting to influence your kids and the peer pressure is not helping, we want to pray for you. And lastly, we always open up our altars for anything. If you have any prayer requests today, we want to pray with you. So let's just close out today in prayer. And those that need to come as we worship, you can do so. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you that your spirit is with us and that, God, you are the foundation of all truth. And we pray that today, Lord, you will raise up our children to be great for you in their schools and that you will protect them from the influences of this world and lord those who are called to make a difference in this world uh, in, the, in the educational world you'll use them god bless us you in bible colleges and the schools of our city and all of the christian leaders that are doing their best there and god we just lift up any need that came here this morning that you would bless them wherever they are and that they would come and seek your face 
In Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Can you bless him with me this morning? Amen. God bless you. We dismiss you. If you would like to stay, we're going to worship the Lord. And if you need prayer, we'll be right up here. Enjoy your week, and we'll see you at Life Groups. God bless you. Spirit, and I will open up its eyes.